Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast, where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. First up, just a quick thank you to our supporting partners, IXS and Magira, and we've got giveaways too. IXS make great mountain bike clothing and protection, but they're about more than that. If you follow downhill racing, you'll probably have heard of the IXS Downhill Cup. Running now for over 20 years, the IXS Cup has provided quality racing for thousands of people and a very important stepping stone to World Cup level competition. You only have to look at the list of athletes that have cut their teeth at the IXS to know how important it's been, with riders like Valley Hall and Jackson Goldstone amongst the list. The IXS Downhill Cup has also provided much needed European racing experience for many racers from further afield, helping to propel them into competing at the very highest level. So it's awesome that brands like IXS are supporting downhill racing in such a major way, enabling up and coming talent to find their feet and get ready to race at World Cup level. If you want to find out more or have a go yourself, you can head to ixsdownhillcup.com and you can see their clothing and protection range at ixs.com forward slash mtb. We'll also have a full head to toe IXS race kit to win later this month so stay tuned to find out how. If you're looking for an upgrade for your bike then a wireless dropper post is a great call and super easy to fit too. I've been using the Magira Viron MDS V3 dropper post and its short overall length has enabled me to fit a 175mm drop post where I'd normally be stuck with a 150mm drop with a lot of other brands. Magira have made the Viron as robust and simple as possible using regular batteries and Bluetooth connectivity between the really nice feeling remote and the post. This means that the post reacts fast and you can drop or raise the post to wherever you need in the stroke. The Viron comes in 30.9 and 31.6 millimeter diameter and with either a 100, 125, 150 or 175 millimeters of drop. So there's something for everyone. You can also adjust the post with a simple spacer between 100 and 125 and between the 150 and 175 mil settings too. So if you're looking for a simple to fit, easy to use dropper post that's robust and reliable too, then check out the Magira Viron MDS V3 post at magira.com or at your local Magira stockist. It's listener survey time again, and this year Magura have been kind enough to give us three sets of my favourite brakes, the awesome MT7 Pros, to give away. So to be in with a chance of winning some, all you need to do is to head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey and fill in this year's listener survey. It's really simple to do and it'll only take you a couple of minutes. So head over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey and we'll be choosing winners of three sets of Magura MT7 Pro brakes at random on Thursday the 8th of June. If you find the podcast provides you with some value, maybe you've learned something that's helped you riding or your fitness, maybe it's got you stoked to go riding or to come back from an injury, or maybe it's just something to pass the time when you can't be riding your bike, then it would be awesome if you're able to do a little something in return to help the podcast continue and improve by setting up a small regular donation via my Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Big thanks to Donald Lonergan, Daniel Ray and John Westenhoff who joined that list of lovely Patreons this week. Also, if you want to represent the podcast, there's still downtime t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. If you want a little bit more downtime in your life, then you can join my newsletter where I'll provide you with a bit of behind the scenes info on the podcast, interesting bits and pieces from around the mountain bike world, some mini reviews of products I've been using and like, partner offers and more. You can do that over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Otherwise, don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. You can do that by hitting the button in your podcast app now, or there's buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. All the links for all of that are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. All right, Matthew Fairbrother is a young New Zealand-born mountain biker with a sense of adventure. Arriving on the shores of the UK for the Inleith and EWS and very few plans, Matthew ended up setting off on an adventure to ride between the rounds of the Enduro World Series last year. We sat down to find all about it, as well as hearing about his recent attempt at the super tough Highland Trail 550. Matt tells us stories of bears, being attacked by a goose, unintentional single-speed bikepacking and plenty more. So, without further ado... Here's Matthew Fairbrother. Matthew Fairbrother, welcome to the Downtime Podcast, man. How's things with you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, yeah, it's an awesome opportunity to be on here. That's a total pleasure, mate. There's, uh, there's a lot to, to talk about and uh, you've definitely been up to some interesting stuff over the last couple of years. Before we get stuck into like the obvious bikepacking around the world for the EWS kind of side of stuff just give us a bit of background like where did you grow up and how did you get into riding bikes because you've not been into mountain biking for that long eh yeah so um i've always lived in new zealand my whole life and i first got into 
mountain biking, I think, when I was about 12, um, just followed my siblings into it. Um, and I think at its core, just wanted to be better than them. So, yeah, I was just chasing them down the hills, um, following them over jumps until, yeah, I guess one day I got better than them. And, uh, yeah, I just followed that way and uh, got into, I think, yeah, I got into downhill first and did that for a while and then started pedaling a bit more. And um, yeah, got got all jumbled up between disciplines, and yeah, don't know what I'd call myself anymore. <laughs> yeah, when did enduro like come onto your radar? When did you start getting involved in that? I'd say in twenty twenty. Um, see, only a few few years ago. I think I've been biking for seven, six six years in total. It is. So um, I think I just started to gain a bit of fitness. Um, I live about 20 kilometers away to where our, our local bike park is. So I think I just began pedaling to the hill and then pedaling back home. So, um, yeah, it was, it was quite a commute. And I think that's kind of where I built up the fitness and then actually began to enjoy biking up the hill. Um, and then, yeah, that's kind of where, where that kicked off. Fair play. And like quite a lot of, uh, Kiwis make their way over to Europe, like, and get stuck into the riding scene over here. It's been something that's been going on for many years. What attracted you to EWS specifically? Like what, what made that decision to come over to, I think Inalethan was your first EWS. Yeah. So I think just following, yeah, other, other New Zealanders um, with their missions kind of sparked, sparked the idea of, of doing it myself and coming over. And I was planning on coming over the last COVID year uh, and doing the, I was actually only going to do the, there was an EWS meant to be in Nelson, New Zealand. So I was going to do that and then do the one in Tasmania. Uh, that was going to be be the start of it for me, but they got cancelled. So I still wanted to compete. So the next step was then to fly all the way over here to Scotland um, and yeah, do the Tweed Valley EWS the next year. And then since I was going to be over here, I made the decision to kind of commit to the full season um, because yeah plane flights aren't cheap getting here so I was just going to make the most out of it and yeah do the do as much of the season as I could fair play how did you raise the money back home then to get enough because like you say it's a huge plane ticket to get across and then you need some money to live off while you're here so as soon as I as soon as I like confirmed the idea that I was I was going to do it I finished finished school and then I started working seven days a week I was working five days a week um at a big chain store as a mechanic and then in the weekends I was working as a mechanic again at the local bike park so I did that for maybe about five months up until I left and then amidst that I signed up for online school so I was working and then doing school (laughs) online after work while also juggling biking and yeah going to the gym and all that so it was quite a hectic lead up and yeah, it was, it was quite nice once I managed to get over here. And yeah, that was that was kind of when I first got to chill out. Fair play. Are you one of these people that seems to be able to like manage without too much sleep? Like, How do you fit all that into your life? Um, I guess I was, I was super tunnel visioned. Like there wasn't much else going on at that time. Like I think I'd singled myself out. Like I, I wasn't, didn't have any mates <laughs> almost. Um, I guess I was just like, yeah, tunnel vision on the goal and that, that didn't bother me. I just, you know, I, I wanted something. So I chased it and yeah, I did what I needed to and it, it all worked out. So <laughs> yeah, I can't complain. Yeah. Fair play. So am I right in saying that when you came over, you didn't like have any plans exactly like how you were going to move yourself from the first round in Tweed Valley to Petson uh, in, in Europe for the second round? Like you, you hadn't really kind of, got a full plan together I guess you just knew you wanted to go to these races yeah so at the time I was 17 I hadn't left New Zealand before I didn't know anyone at all over here um yeah no no license to get a car I didn't have the money to get a car didn't have the money to catch flights um and yeah I managed to convince myself that I'd be able to hitch with other people to the next events Amazing. But uh, there was like a chance encounter, I guess, with Win Masters that maybe changed like everything for you, right? The direction you went in completely changed as a result of that conversation. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. So it was the week before the Tweed Valley EWS. I was out biking and bumped into Win Masters, who's also a fellow 
New Zealander. I actually hadn't met him before, so it was a bit like, whoa, it's it's Wynn Masters. Um, and I, I got chatting to him about how I don't know how I was going to get to the next CWS. And I was, <laughs> he was like, why don't you pedal there? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll pedal there. <laughs> Just because, you know, it was, it was Wynn Masters. And I was like, I couldn't, you know, he, he told me I had to pedal there. So, of course, I'd pedal there. Um, <laughs> so, in a way, it was that. And in another sense, it was... It was an answer to my issue, um, and that's kind of when I started to gear up to, to pedal there. Unreal. And you had a bit of support from Deviate at this point, right? And it was it was Deviate that sort of stepped in and like helped you get ready for this because you didn't go with the intention of riding. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Deviate definitely stepped in and helped me out there. So that week I was actually staying with the owner, one of the co-owners of Deviate, uh, Ben Jones. So. I kind of mentioned the idea to him. He thought I was stupid, but at the same time, I think he loved it. <laughs> I don't think he had much confidence for me, but uh, yeah, I was stubborn and kind of managed to convince him um, into helping me. So we ordered some bike packing bags. Uh, he helped me out with his his knowledge and advice. Um, and yeah, I guess then the focus changed to the Tweed Valley EWS. And at that point, we were still waiting on my bike packing bags to turn up. Uh, but then the Jubilee weekend hit and it was public holidays and nothing had turned up and I was meant to leave like the next day. So <laughs> he shot into, I think it was Glasgow, went to all the bike shops he could and found me some, some bike packing gear. So yeah, none of this would have happened without his help. So yeah, like, yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> Couldn't have done it without Fair him. play. Yeah. So what, what did you change on the bike? You, Cause you, pretty much it was like, stock bike ready to go through a few bags on but you did a few little bits and bobs i think yeah so the only thing i changed was slick tires um and then of course yeah put bike packing bags on it so there wasn't actually much i did at all to my setup except for changing tires yeah what about like equipment for cooking sleeping that sort of stuff like how heavy did you go with that side of things um so i added about 15 kg worth of weight to my bike I had a few changes of clothes. Um, I did have a cooking cooking set. I had a tent, sleeping bag, sleeping mat. Um, I had a few power banks to keep my phone and Garmin charged. And yeah, that was about it. I kept it quite minimal. Yeah, no messing. And then uh, obviously you got a ride across the UK to get a ferry into Europe. And I think the even getting on the ferry wasn't straightforward, right? Yeah, so I... I pedaled over, over to Newcastle, um, went to board, and they were just like, you, you can't you can't board, you're too young, you're 17, you've got to be 18. And I was like, I've, I've got to get on this boat. And I was like, can I speak to your manager? <laughs> so uh, the manager came over, and um, luckily I actually asked for the manager because they then gave me the option of getting a photocopy of my mum or dad's passport and then getting them to email saying that they gave permission for me to board the vessel. So um, then that's when another issue came in. I'd, I didn't have any uh, like data or like phone calling, <laughs> so I couldn't actually get in contact with, with them at all. So I then went into like, I guess that there was a big building there where I'm not too sure what was happening in there, but there were lots of people. So I then went, uh, asking lots of people, asking if I could get a quick hotspot and no one would help me. And then I, I spotted this elderly couple who looked like quite <laughs> upset and I later found out they'd lost all their luggage. Um, but yeah, they ended up giving me a hotspot and like sat with me and kind of helped me out. So yeah, <laughs> they saved me there and um, I managed to get a hold of them and it was 2am New Zealand time. So yeah, I think they woke up to a bit of a shock. <laughs> and did your parents at this point know that you'd taken on this bikepacking plan to go from in Leithen to Petson? Yeah, I guess I told them the bare details of it, but I don't think they quite knew what it entailed. <laughs> were they were they cool with it? Like, especially like you're 17, first time away from New Zealand, like you're taking on quite a bit. Yeah, I don't think they were totally happy about it, but I think they know when I've made up my mind that you know, the decision's been made. I'm, I'm super stubborn and yeah, they're quite aware of that. So I think they kind of knew to then become supportive instead of turn against me. Yeah, fair play. 
So you um, you were running AXS on the bike as well, um, without a spare battery, I think, on that first leg. Did it did it make it all the way? Yeah, so I had AXS, um, which, yeah, in foresight, needed more planning for a mission like this. And that halfway into the journey to, I think it was Slovenia, um, yeah, it died on me. Um, and I was left basically on a single speed bike for half a thousand kilometers. <laughs> was it like, how hilly was it? There must've been, I mean, you're heading into the mountains for a race, right? So there's gotta be some fairly significant climbs. Um, it wasn't mountains, but it was definitely hilly. But I think the issue I had was I was stuck in a gear that was too hard for the hills, but then too low for the flats. So it was just such an awkward uh-huh. cadence. I was I was pushing all the time, um, and it definitely kind of yeah, it got into my head. But I think by the end of it, I kind of I forgot about it, and it just was was what it was. Yeah. So are you regretting your decision at this point, or are you like, oh, I'm kind of into this. Like maybe I'll do this for all the rounds. At what at what point do you go from like, this is a bit of a crazy idea to oh maybe we'll carry on and keep doing this. Um. At that point, I think I was I was just tunnel visioned on getting there. Like I don't know what I was thinking, but it wasn't much. Um, I think at that point I knew I couldn't just give up halfway in, so I just needed to get there, and then yeah, then that would have been that. And I wasn't planning on biking to any more places after that one, so I was just gonna be quite happy when that was over. <laughs> Fair enough. And where, what are you doing with like sleeping and eating and stuff? Because obviously you've got a very expensive bike with you. Like how do you manage that when you, you're stopping for food and stopping to sleep? Yeah, so that was something which was always on my on my mind. Um, so in terms of food, I would only stop at like gas stations, which were in the middle of nowhere. Um, so somewhere where it would basically be a hassle for someone to steal my bike, which meant quite an awful diet. Um, but then at the same time, a diet of sweets and lollies, what do you call it? Um, it was like almost the best way to do a mission like that because it's just dense energy. But um, yeah, my stomach wasn't loving it at times. And then in terms of sleeping, <laughs> I'd just pull over in the bushes in the middle of nowhere um, where no one would find me basically and, and go to sleep and then get up in the dark just to make up some more time. Did, did you carry a lock for the bike? Like, I mean, a locks, decent locks anyway are pretty heavy, so I'm guessing maybe you didn't. I had a small hip lock lock. It was like one of their cable tie locks. So um, you could easily cut it, but it would mean that you wouldn't be able to just yank the bike and go. Um, but it was quite minimal, so I did have that in my mind. Yeah, fair. It's, yeah, it's an incredible feat, mate. Like, Scotland to, to Petson, I think 1,550 kilometres, 74 hours of riding over six days. And then how much rest did you have before uh, getting stuck into the next EWS? I got there two days early. Um, and I kind of, yeah, <laughs> which was good. I got the ahead of time. I had some time just in case anything happened. Um, but I got there and I was like, I kind of panicked because I knew if I just stopped moving, my body just wouldn't work again, essentially. Like it would, it would shut down and I'm, I wouldn't be able to start up again. So those two days, um, I ended up doing a couple more big, big days on the bike just to keep the legs sticking over. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that I just added to a, to what was a, a huge week. <laughs> and then straight into an EWS. And uh I mean it was going pretty well, right? I think you were eleventh maybe in Fort William. And uh and Petson wasn't too bad either. But am I right in thinking you dislocated your finger in one of the stages? Yeah, I think it was on the on the second or third stage. I hit a big G out and my arms just gave out and um it was alongside a bank, so my arms gave out and I just turned into the bank and my finger just clipped the bank and um yeah it just dislocated itself so I made it down to the bottom of that stage with it kind of just flailing went and saw the medics got it back in and they were just they told me just to sit down and I was like I can't sit down I've got to go get to this next stage because there wasn't much time left at that point um so (laughs) at that point I put a a cable tie between my pinky finger and the finger next to it 
to stop it like flailing about did that stage with my finger cable tied <laughs> uh then got after that stage that stage was fine it was a bit sore but it, like like once I got going it wasn't even on my mind after that stage I then got it taped up and yeah it was good to go after that amazing and then uh, I guess at some point you've got to make a decision as to what you do next right you've, you've done this huge ride over 1500 kilometers from Scotland to Petson and it's uh, a lot closer from Petson to the next round in, in Crans Montana I think so was that an obvious decision to just hop back on the bike and ride it again yeah, um, I think by that point I'd gotten quite a bit of momentum and I saw that I was kind of gaining a bit of a following um, and I knew that I wasn't, although I was quite happy with how I was, I was placing at that point, I knew that it wasn't actually doing me much good in the big picture. So mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll pedal to the next one, um, continue to kind of build this following and just see how it goes. So, yeah, I set off that evening after the EWS to Val de Fasa. Yeah, and it definitely did, like, gain some momentum for you, I think. So at some point, Deviate stepped in and said they'd pay for your flights out to Canada, US, so that you could do that part of the uh, the EWS. And I, I think, did they set up a GoFundMe campaign as well to, like, help raise money for the rest of that trip? Yeah, yeah. So they, they stepped in, paid for my flights both ways to the USA slash Canada. And yeah, also set up a GoFundMe, which also blew up. And um, yeah, I guess overnight my whole lifestyle for the next few months was completely changed. I was, I was actually going to be able to eat good and yeah, have a much more enjoyable time, which was was kind of hard to, to, to soak in at that point in time. Yeah, were you, were you kind of surprised like how quickly this thing like got that momentum because you, you went from a young New Zealander who's come over to give it a go to someone that like, you know, everyone was talking about, like it was on the pink bike homepage, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. It was, I mean, didn't know what to do, but at the same time, like, it didn't feel like I was doing anything special. Like I, I didn't know why it was happening, but I think I knew in my head that I just needed to to jump on that wave and and follow it as much as I could while it was lasting. Yeah, and did you did you make any like changes to your equipment or your kit then for heading out to uh, to North America? Um, yeah, I did actually. Uh, I got on a new bike, so Deviate Cycles just came out with a new Claymore, which was a better suited bike. It was one six five mil in the back instead of one fifty. So yeah, I was lucky enough to to jump on that. Um, and yeah, took it out for the first time in Whistler. Yeah, but definitely better for the, uh, the the downhill side of things, I guess. Like you, your resort in Whistler was good. Eh? Was it top ten again? Yeah, I finished. Yeah, I think it was tenth there, which I had to work for that one. But uh, yeah, I was stoked with that. How how were you finding it? Like at, at points in the season, I'm guessing you must have been pretty fatigued. Were you relatively fresh though when you went out? Um, to that particular round like did, how did you get there did you fly to Vancouver and then ride up yeah yeah flew to Vancouver and I got there a couple weeks early so I managed to just hitch hitch up there with people Vancouver to Whistler's not that far so um and yeah there's always lots of people heading that way so I don't think there's any harm in, in jumping in with someone so you actually managed to get a little bit more of a kind of chilled run into that race I guess you hadn't like flogged yourself halfway across the country just before it yeah, um, <laughs> you say that, but <laughs> um, I was quite aware of the fact that I was in Whistler, um, and you know it's Whistler, so I made sure that I made the most of it. So the whole couple of weeks <laughs> before that EWS, I was I was at the bike park, like opening to closing, just smashing myself with laps. Um, so I wasn't feeling that amazing going into that event. <laughs> <laughs> so tenth, you're happy with that, right? Yeah, yeah, I was I was quite happy with that. What, what were your like aims on the racing side of things coming over? Did you have particular goals or is, is it all sort of developed over the season? Um, I don't know. I didn't actually have any goals. Um, I kind of went over with the idea that I was just going to get smashed and that I was going to be way out the back. So coming over, I kind of set the goal of that year just to learn um, and understand how things things work to then be able to go home and get my head down and kind of, yeah, then get fast the next year. So 
I kind of didn't have any expectations, but I think after I got that 11th or 12th at Tweed Valley, then my mind instantly changed to them wanting to do well and kind of aim for top 10s. Yeah. Fair play. So Whistler then onwards, like how do you get from there to, where was the next round? Was it Burke? It was Burke, uh, yeah. Yeah, Burke. So Whistler and Burke are like on the complete opposite sides of of the USA or, or Canada. Just, I guess that land mass. So I did have to catch a flight, um, which saved me about 5,000 kilometers of pedaling. So I was quite happy about that. Um, <laughs> and but that required a bike box, right? Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I needed a bike box. So basically the week before my flight, I was messaging all the bike shops in Vancouver, managed to get a bike box organized, but didn't actually look at where the bike shop was. So it was, I think it was North Vancouver, which was basically the opposite side of Vancouver to where the airport's located. So <laughs> I had a, I think it was a 30 kilometer bike to do with the bike box. So I ended up getting the duct tape I had out. I had just bought um, in a couple of tubes and turning the bike box into a backpack. <laughs> so you rode all the way across Vancouver with a massive bike box on your back. Yeah, yeah. There were a few close calls and um, it was quite slow just because it was just catching the wind. It was yeah quite a tough pedal, but I was quite satisfied that I actually managed to get that done. Yeah, it's a good effort. But then I think, you, did you get to the airport and realise you didn't have the right tool to uh, take your pedals off? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So at that same bike shop, I bought what I thought was an 8 mil, millimeter Allen key. Um, but it turned out that it was actually a 10 millimeter tool. So I went to take my pedals off and panicked because I didn't have the tool to take my pedals off and I needed to take the pedals off to get the bike in the box. So um, I think I put up a post asking if anyone <laughs> was near Vancouver Airport and had a, had a tool for me to use. Um, but I lucked out and a fellow Kiwi, uh, Daniel Self, was there and had a tool for me to use. So, yeah, I got saved by him. <laughs> it worked out all right, yeah. And where, So where do you fly to then to get to Burke? I've never been that way. Um, I flew into Quebec, which was still Canada, which meant I had to bike over the border okay. to get to Burke. Uh, how was that? Yeah, not always the easiest uh, border control, hey? Yeah, it didn't, didn't go that well. Um, so I purposely went to a border that, was, that wasn't one of the main borders. Um, so there was like only two people in the building. I thought it was going to be sweet. There was no cars, no queues. Um, but I get there, um, check my passport, and then... I basically just get asked to come inside and have a seat. So I get like put in this, like a small office cube cubicle thing. And they start like <laughs> giving me questions. And I think their big concern was that I was, I was young. Um, I've just turned 18 at that point. They wanted to speak to my mum and dad. They wanted to like know why I was there. They wanted to know how I was affording to be there. Um, Cause I guess they would have been able to see when I flew in and I've been overseas for like a few months at that point. Um, and then they kind of just got stuck on, on the point of wanting to see bank statements and see how much money I had. Um, but since this was in the middle of nowhere, uh, there was no, no signal and they wouldn't let me use their Wi-Fi to like get online to show them my bank statements or anything like that. So, um, yeah, they were a bit stuck on what to do. And then they asked if I had any cash. Um, and I had maybe about $5 worth of coins, um, which I then showed them, which, yeah, they weren't that happy about. Um, <laughs> they thought I was just joking, <laughs> joking with them at that point. Um, and, yeah, they walked away quite quite annoyed and then came back 10 minutes later and asked what I was actually going into the USA for. So I said I was going to this bike event and one of the guys popped up and said that he had just been talking to these these funky New Zealanders the day before, which I like instantly knew was the pivot guys like Ed Masters and Matt Walker. Um, and then we nice. started talking about about mountain biking because this guy mentioned that he was like an avid mountain biker. And I asked him what bike he had, and he said that he had just bought a full suspension e bike, fat bike, and you know he was. He was like loving it and it was getting out in the hills like each day after work. 
And um, yeah, basically after that, they they let me in and yeah, that's all it took. <laughs> and I was in there for like a few hours. Um, Amazing. So isn't it? it wasn't it wasn't a fun time. Well, at least it was the mountain biking that saved you. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. And I, I guess through a lot of that North America leg, right? You're in bear country and other wild animals that you probably don't want to get that close to. Did you have any encounters? Yeah. So actually, while I was in Whistler, I asked one person because um, I'd seen bears when I was in Whistler. I asked if there were any bears um, out that way, and he said like, "No, nah, no, nah, you're good. You don't need to think about it." So. I didn't think about it. <laughs> so the first night I went to wild camp, um, my bike was maybe about five meters away and had, I also had dinner that night and I didn't put my food away. So I woke up in the middle of the, middle of the night to like all this, all this noise of like, it was a chip packet and um, this bear was like scavenging in my food. And I woke up and just like panic and I, I, I shouted and yeah, it scared the bear <laughs> off. But um, I wasn't sleeping after that, so I, I packed up and just went at like yeah in the middle of the night, um, and yeah, I don't think I could sleep all week um, just because I was scared of, of getting eaten by a bear. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a fair comment. Yeah, there were a few other run-ins as well, right? There was uh, some workmen that you uh, accidentally upset along the way. Oh <laughs> yeah, between Burke and Sugarloaf, um, I bumped into some highway workers who were just painting the the white lines on the sh- on the shoulder of the highway um i don't know if i missed the sign or if there wasn't a sign but i ended up biking over the the wet lines um and just got paint all over the place like it was all over my tires it was obvious that it was me and i, I bumped into these guys and they just started yelling at me um and one of the guys got into his pickup and just forced me off the highway. <laughs> so, Whoa. yeah, that was that was quite a, a big shock to me. Um, and, yeah, I was just quite scared to speak to anyone after that because I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, not good, eh? And did, was that also linked to an incident with a goose? Was, am, I, <laughs> am I right in yeah, thinking that? Yeah, I've, I forgot about all this stuff. There's so much which has happened. Yeah, so I got forced off the highway <laughs> and then... I just went into these woods and just walked in these woods for quite a while because I didn't want to see this guy again. Um, and I came to this, uh, this like swampy kind of pond bit. And, um, I guess there would have been goose, geese nesting there, which kind of didn't come to mind. Um, and yeah, a, a ghost just started to, to charge at me and just attack me. <laughs> um, and yeah, just it was getting me quite good actually. So I basically just started to fight back and defend myself. Um, and yeah, I, I I got away and found the highway again, and I was I was back on the bike. Amazing. Do you ever like wonder what what are you, what the hell you're doing? Like you're there, you've just been chased off the highway by some crazy guy you're having a fight with a goose like riding a 160 mil enduro bike across parts of the world that aren't really designed for enduro bikes like are there moments where you kind of question this like the sanity of it all or how, how do you think about it oh I, yeah i don't know i think it is quite stupid but i think yeah i don't think sometimes so if anyone was, anyone was going to do it i think it would be me what and what keep what keeps you going because it can't be easy right like getting woken up by a bear stealing your food not being able to sleep for a week all of these incidents and everything like and you know that's without even thinking about the hard physical effort that you're putting in day in day out on probably a suboptimal like diet with with no rest like what keeps you motivated to keep to keep going and keep doing these things yeah i think i was just able to to build a mindset that in my eyes, turn it into a job that just had to be done. Um, and I just made it and I was just able to convince myself that I had to do it and there was no other option but to do it. So I just had to keep moving forward. And then I guess in the bigger picture, if I didn't keep moving forward, I wouldn't have made it to these events, which was the whole purpose of being over there. And was, was that literally like the, you know, the, the outcome of it for you was just getting to the event. You weren't, like thinking about that bigger picture of 
I don't know, like growing the following, developing that story and the, the things that could come from that? Um, I think that was definitely in the, the back of my mind, like at all times, but I ended up getting so burnt out and fatigued that I just needed to get to these events and, you know, there wasn't much thought about the social media kind of side of things until it was too late, essentially. So I guess there's a lot of things I wish I'd, I'd done um, that year, but at the same time, I don't think I had the energy um, to, to do anything more than I was doing. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine it would make a pretty incredible documentary if you had a film crew following you around, but it probably wouldn't have been the same trip if that was the case. So it's uh, it's cool that you've had those experiences. And it, it, it's got, like, to some extent, like you've had potential for, for pretty bad pretty high risks right there was an incident i think um before you left the us where you were decided to to cut the nobles off some tires to make riding a little <laughs> bit easier and and uh caused a pretty serious bleed yeah yeah so after the the last usa ews in it was sugarloaf um i had a pedal back to quebec which was yeah quite a big pedal um and all I had over there was downhill tires just because I didn't have the weight to fly over with slicks. So I was like, I'm not going to be using these tires again. I might as well cut the knobs off them and turn my downhill tires into slicks. So I got out the kitchen knife and started chopping away and um, I slipped uh, and I just managed to cut myself just below below my hand and I, I got a vein and... Um, I think, yeah, I just fainted. I think mostly because I was so tired at that point um, and it just didn't, I don't, I don't like blood to begin with, but I think it was also the fact I was so tired. So I fainted and it was Salome Lukasik, which actually found me <laughs> outside his porch. He luckily, they were also luckily packing up at the same time. So they were in and out and yeah, I came to um, with him holding my legs in the air and with my hand bandaged up amazing it's good that they were around to to look after you so did did you get a break then coming like back into europe because i think there was like a couple of weeks was there between like the u.s block and then the the final two rounds in europe yeah yeah i think i had a, had a couple of weeks which once again i i filled out with lots of biking um spent heaps of time in the alps with with um the the deviate deviate team uh, we did some missions which was awesome but I came into that next EWS in Switzerland feeling, yeah, quite burnt out still. So I just, yeah, I wasn't too sure how that'd go. Yeah, how how was it then? Like, were you was it noticeable, like, that you were really starting to fatigue at this part in the season? Did you, did you feel a difference in your ability to put in those big days? Yeah, um, it was it was quite noticeable. I think more so on my head. Um, I think the big takeaway was that I just kept falling off the bike um, no matter what I did no matter if I took it easy or not I'll just always fall off and yeah like I don't usually fall off that often so that was kind of a visible effect of just being tired yeah definitely man and again you had a pretty brutal get out from there I think you rode from from the Swiss round to Ludenvier which is another thousand odd kilometers and I think I think you left like straight after the race, the evening after the race and rode all the way through the night. Yeah. So after the Swiss EWS, I left 30 minutes after finishing. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the plan wasn't to bike all night, but it got to the point where I would have gone to sleep and it was minus two. Um, and I only had, I guess what you could call like summer kit, um, so it was just way too way too cold to sleep. Um, if I was going to stop, I wouldn't have been able to sleep. So what made the most sense in my head was just to keep moving and keep warm. And even biking with the wind chill, it was too cold. So what I ended up doing was cutting holes in my sleeping bag so I could I could slide into it and bike in my sleeping bag, um, which worked <laughs> worked quite well. Um, but I actually ended up getting too hot. That being too hot was better than being too cold. So it was good. And I actually ended up losing quite a bit of, of fluff in the sleeping bag. So it actually, it actually got cooler as the night went on. So yeah, it was, it was well thought out. 
You've, yeah, you've invented a new riding product. I like it. The riding sleeping bag sounds like <laughs> sounds like a great idea. So, at the end of the season, then, like you've what you've achieved is phenomenal. Like in anyone's books, it's a proper adventure. Like looking back on it, were you were you really proud with what you'd achieved, and and what were your thoughts about like where do we go from here? Yeah, I don't. I don't even know if I ever looked back at the season. Like, I think with all the things I've done, I've never actually been satisfied with what I've done. Like, I definitely work hard, but I feel like there's always more to give. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was kind of like, what's next and, and moving on to whatever that thing was. And, and what was next then? What, what, have you, uh, what have you dreamt up and been involved in more recently? Um, yeah, I guess... At, at my core, I still want to compete in the, the EDR circuit, it's now called. Um, but I think I also showed to myself that um, okay at biking long distances. So I think this year was kind of when I sparked the idea to kind of move into some of that long distance stuff and just see what I'm capable of and um, yeah, push my body to find my limit. Yeah, and Deviate, I take it, we're, uh, we're behind supporting you for that? Yeah, yeah, once again, Deviate has been behind my back the whole way. And um, yeah, I always, always putting ideas, ideas into, into my head now. <laughs> I was going to say, whose idea was it then? Because uh, you've recently had a crack at the Highland Trail 550. Well, first off, tell us a bit about what the Highland Trail 550 is for people that, that don't know. Yeah, so it's a, it's a signature loop in the Scottish Highlands. Um, Starts in the middle of Scotland and then goes all the way up to the to the northernmost point of Scotland, basically. Um, and it's basically all dirt, uh, about 25% hiker bike, and it's just known to be savage. Um, I think that's it at its core, basically. Yeah, it's pretty pretty extreme as well, especially when you factor in the unpredictability of Scottish weather, even at the best times of year how, how did you prepare for your attempt at highland trail 550 then um oh i kind of <laughs> didn't in a way um it was only a month or almost two <laughs> months ago now that i did the tasmania edrs um and only a week before flying out to tasmania i actually um chipped a bone in my foot so i just battled the pain in Tasmania and then got home and had a few easy weeks of, of not much and then after that it was time to come to Scotland so in the few months before the, the attempt I kind of yeah <laughs> didn't do much and it wasn't ideal but I mean I think I had a an okay enough base um to to work off that that should have been fine or going to plan yeah definitely like you've clearly got a good uh underlying level of of fitness again what did you do setup wise for 550 then did you did you take any different equipment did you do anything different to the bike yeah so this time i used the highlander which is tv smaller smaller bike it's 145 in the back so it's, it's actually not much of a small bike but uh better than the claymore um i've been using last year um, I put XC tires on and then I had a lighter weight set up in terms of, of sleeping um, and I also had a big backpack which held all my water and clothes. Yeah, I'm guessing you've got to be like very self-sufficient on this loop, hey? Like you're out in proper wilderness, you're not going to a random fuel stop to pick up a can of Coke. Yeah, so I guess the whole point of the challenge is that you are self-sufficient um, in terms of you can't have any outside support so you can't have, have a support team giving you food or water um but there are shops along the way where you can stop and buy food but it's about 12 to 24 hours between shops just kind of depending on when you when you hit them because if you're biking at night um shops can be shut so there's a whole whole bunch of things which make make it hard in terms of fueling yeah and did you have like a a goal for it in how long you wanted to do it in or was it just a case of you wanted to com complete it because it's it, it's yeah a lot of people have tried and failed right yeah so I wasn't too sure where I would kind of stand in a challenge like this as it's definitely my first challenge of this this type but I think the ultimate goal is um getting a sub four day time which is only about 10 hours slower than the, the quickest time which has been set 
But I think the big unknown for me was it was about 25% hiker bike. And I'm not that mm-hmm. good on my feet. Um, I don't do much hiking, walking or, or jogging. So um, I think it was just mainly going to be up to how my feet would handle it. Yeah. Take us through it then. Like uh, bring us along with you for, for that experience. Like how did it go? Yeah. So it was, it was tough. It, uh, it definitely humbled me. Um, Scotland is yeah such a insane place like yeah it's mind-blowing the places that I went to but at the same time um I hated Scotland so much <laughs> because it was just a constant bog the whole time like wherever I went it was just mud um bog <laughs> and yeah I was I was walking up the hills I was walking along the flats and then I'd say that half the downhills I had to walk down just because it was a bog um so uh, i i wasn't yeah it was it was quite a battle mentally because i was expecting yeah i'm gonna have to to walk up a lot of hills but i wasn't expecting to also walk down a lot of the hills that was kind of where i was expecting to make up some time so um yeah that was something i found quite hard to deal with yeah we've had a super wet uh winter and spring i guess so the weather hasn't done anything to dry out the ground, especially up there. I, I would expect like that makes life pretty hard, and like you say, pretty depressing when you're pushing your bike down a hill as well. How how was the weather while you were out on the loop? Like how how did it treat you on the actual days you were out there? Yeah, I think I got some classic Scottish weather most days, which was intervals of nice sunshine and then intervals of of just getting soaked um, as as storms came in, uh, but like overall, it was it was quite good until the last day, which I guess ultimately I, I had to pull out on because in the most uh, isolated part of Scotland, in between two passes, um, a storm came in, uh, like a huge wind hit me, and I just couldn't move forward. Basically, I was just fighting against a wall of wind, and yeah, I guess my, my health took a large hit. Um, I was I was borderline hypothermic. I started to cough up blood. Um, I just couldn't think. I was getting delusional. And I just had to somehow find shelter. So I I managed to find a bothy, which is a mountain hut, which you can, you can access. And, yeah, I set up and camped there for the night. And I think I got there about 2.30 a.m. after battling for six hours in that storm. Wow. You must have been glad to see that bothy, mate. Yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> It was a good sight, but, um, yeah, it wasn't It wasn't over then. Yeah, what was your, like, you spent the night there then, and, and when you woke up, were you kind of keen to go again? Like, how was the decision made as to whether to proceed or not? Yeah, so I think that night I made the decision that I was, I was done, like, I guess in a way I saw my life flash before my eyes. I knew if I didn't make it to that bothy that um, I would have been done basically. There's no way I could have set up camp and um, just stayed warm, warm enough. Um, at that point, all my clothes were soaking wet and the only thing keeping me warm was just moving forward. So I made it to that bothy, um, basically got up, got out of all of my wet clothes and then just sat there shaking all night. Um, and then... I had a Garmin PLB, so I was, I was able to contact, um, I had a support team there for safety and who were also filming. So I was able mm. to contact them to let them know I'd made it to the Bothy and kind of update them on my health situation. But once I made it into the Bothy, the Garmin stopped updating my location and I guess they knew kind of my health situation. So they panicked and um, ended up hiking in. It was about five hours to to see how I was doing in that bothy. And, yeah, uh, I ended up waking up and I was I was fine. I ended up waking to them shouting my name, um, saying, like, because they couldn't find me. Um, but, yeah, I ended up being fine, but it turned into quite a situation just because I couldn't contact them and they couldn't contact me and they couldn't see my location. Yeah. Did it take a little bit of recovering from, like, or were you actually, once you'd kind of warmed back through, were you relatively okay? Yeah, it took some time to warm up. And at that point, I was I was still kind of adamant that I was, I was done. 
but I still had a four to five hour walk out of the out of the mountains. Um, so I'd say after a couple hours of, of walking out, I then kind of in my head convinced myself that I was still able to move forward. So there was no no excuse not to move forward. So I wanted to get back into the challenge after that. Um, but I was kind of aware of the state I was in. So I asked the the guys who were walking out with me um, what their opinions were. And they just said that there was no way they were going to let me continue um, in the state I was in, which looking back on it was, yeah, the best decision because I was in quite a state and I just couldn't make the decision for myself. Yeah, for sure. It sounds like the right call, but like, I guess for you, is that the first time like the challenges kind of got the better of you? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the first time I've, I've genuinely kind of found my limits um, and not being able to continue on in a challenge. So yeah, uh, I suppose it, it hit me hard, but um, in the end, I think I'm, I'm definitely satisfied because that's all I had to give. Um, I, I found my limits and yeah, <laughs> I couldn't move forward so that's what it was about yeah good cool what what does that do to you now though does that mean you want that 550 even more like you want to come back and do it again or are you kind of able to to move on from it and, and do something else um i'm not too sure i don't think i've had enough time to think about that and let it soak in but i think my initial thoughts are that i don't want to do it again there's just way too much walking uh-huh. and hike a bike that Okay. It just it just doesn't suit me by any means. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely keen to do some other challenges like that, but that are more bike focused and not multidiscipline. Uh huh. What is there anything on the radar? Like anything you've spotted that you like the look of? Um, something with I've planned again the game with Deviate is a tour of Mont Blanc. Um, so that would be about a ten thousand meters of elevation kind of loop um which would yeah should be a good challenge but i think that would only be about 24 hours so it's a bit shorter but uh-huh. yeah still wouldn't be easy by any means yeah and you i think i'm right in saying you had a film crew along with you at least for parts of the, the highland trail attempt like what what was that like did that change the experience in in a significant way for you um yeah, so I had a I had the film team with me who followed me about at all the bits they could access, I guess. So they weren't on any of the mountains or any of the sections out the back. Um, but I think for me, it definitely gave me a lot of confidence because I guess I felt a lot safer because I knew if something happened that they'd be able to come get me. So it was a positive thing, although they didn't, they weren't actually physically helping me. Yeah. What did you like self film some of the more remote stuff? Cause I'm guessing it's the really remote stuff where maybe the, the challenge can get more significant, right? You're really on your own at that point. Um, yeah, I was able to get a few phone clips, but I wasn't filming as such. Um, and to be honest, I just wasn't in a mental state to be able to do that and to be able to focus on it. I think in the bits, which would have been best for the film, um, that's when I was finding it the toughest. Yeah, that's, I guess, what people kind of want to see, isn't it? They want to see how deep you had to dig to to get as far as you did. Like, it's uh, it's hard to get that balance, I think, between filming something but keeping it, like, real. Because, yeah, I'm guessing there's a, there's, a, there's a chance that having a film crew there can change the, the reality of the situation to some extent. Yeah, 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 totally. Um, yeah, I don't think it's a balance that anyone can perfect because... As soon as you have have someone pointing a, a phone or whatever in your face, it, it changes things and you kind of, yeah, you put on a face. Yeah, definitely, man. So what what's the plan for the film? Where, will we see it soon? Like where, where will it be released, you know? Yeah, so the film's planning, planned to come out mid-June um, and I think the easiest place to find it will be on the on Pinkbike or via DV8 Cycles YouTube channel. Nice. I'm looking forward to it. I'll uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. It's uh, an incredible challenge and be cool to see your, your attempt at it. We should, um, we should start wrapping up. We've got our final four questions that we ask pretty much everybody. 
the, the first of those is if our listeners had 150 pounds, which is about 300 New Zealand dollars to improve their performance on a bike, what would you recommend they go and spend it on? And I'm guessing it's probably not going to be a mountain biking sleeping bag. <laughs> no, um, I'd say, I'd say go get like a, a lesson um, and just essentially purchase some confidence. I think confidence on the bike is the most valuable thing you can have. So I think a lesson is the, the easiest way to get that. Yeah, nice. I like that. The The second question is, uh, if you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16, what advice would you give him? And that's not very long ago for you. Are you, are you 18, 19? Yeah, 18. Uh-huh. Um, oh, that's a hard one. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, just just stay tunnel vision and, and keep chasing that goal. Do, do, are there ever blips for you, like away from that? It feels like you're you really like literally do get a target fixation on something and just nothing's going to sway you. But are there ever moments where you're, you feel like you're going to get kind of pushed off course? Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Like my whole life I've, I've always been obsessed with one thing. Um, and I've always, always had phases. Like I guess at, at one point it was like, I'm gaming. Um, then I had a phase of making like loan bands and then I had a phase of making cakes and then it was a phase of making of, of mountain biking. And when I'm stuck within that phase, that's like all I can think of and all I want to do. So yeah, I've, I've definitely got quite a fixation on whatever is on my mind. Amazing. Impressive stuff. All right. Question three, if you could have a coaching session from anybody past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn from them? And it doesn't have to be a mountain biker necessarily. Um, oh, I think David Goggins, um, just like his mindset okay. is something yeah, yeah. I, I've kind of aspired to, I suppose. So yeah, I think that that's what it would be. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I've not, I've not read, he released a book maybe a couple of years ago that a lot of people have recommended actually. I haven't got around to reading it yet, but is that, is that one you've read? No, uh, I've listened to a, a few podcasts. I haven't actually seen that book. Been a bit busy the last couple of years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've been too busy riding bikes. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All right, last one. What do you feel what do you do every day that you feel benefits you? Um I think just just moving moving forward. Um I think whatever I do in a day is always planned towards like something in the future. Um so yeah, I think no matter what I do, it's it's making making myself feel like I've achieved something in that day, working towards a goal. Nice. And you've, you've got, like you said, the Tour de Mont Blanc uh, project coming up. Are there other, other projects like in the works? Is there anything you can tell us about or is it all still all to be played for? Um, yeah, I guess it's, it's that alongside the EDR circuit. Um, and then, yeah, I'm not too sure what, I, what else I'll get up to this year. Um, I'm quite spontaneous with challenges. So yeah, could end up doing something stupid along the way. <laughs> good stuff man well if people want to follow you throughout the season where's the best place for them to look yeah i'd say um just on on insta at matthew fmgb um that's kind of where i post most of my stuff and, and updates hey so i'll put links in the show notes uh to that so people can find it and follow you throughout the year um keep doing what you're doing man it's uh it's unique it's impressive um and it's been really cool to like hear your story and, and follow your progress over the last couple of years so i'm looking forward to seeing what insane things you get up to next but yeah thanks for coming on and and all the best for the rest of the season man thank you thanks very much for having me it's been awesome all right that's it for this episode with matt i really hope you've enjoyed it a massive thanks to magira for supporting this episode if you want to upgrade your dropper post then look no further than the magira viron mds v3 super simple to fit and has a relatively short post length enabling you to get as much drop as possible it comes in 30.9 and 31.6 millimeter diameters and 100 125 150 and 175 millimeter drop and also you can easily adjust the post between 100 and 125 and 150 and 175 just using a simple spacer Check out the Magira Viron MDS V3 post at magira.com or at your local Magira stockist. 
Also, a massive thanks to IXS, not just for supporting this episode, but for supporting the talent pathway in downhill racing via the IXS Downhill Cup, which has been the training ground for many of the races whose names we are now familiar with at the top of the World Cup circuit. Without brands like IXS, we wouldn't have the incredible depth of racing talent that we have within the sport. Find out more or get involved at ixsdownhillcup.com and check out IXS's awesome clothing and protection at ixs.com forward slash mtb. Don't forget, if you want to be in with a chance of winning one of three pairs of Magura MT7 Pro brakes, you need to fill out my 2023 listener survey by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey before the 8th of June, which is really close, so you better be quick. Also, don't forget, if you want to help support the podcast, the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtimepodcast and setting up a regular donation. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. If Patreon doesn't work for you, then there's other ways you can help too, like telling your friends about the show, sharing the episodes on your social media, and leaving us a review in Apple Podcasts. We've also got t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hoodies available at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. All right, there's loads more great stuff coming over the course of the year, so make sure you're following the podcast by hitting that button in your podcast app now or head into downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can also get a bit of extra downtime by signing up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. That's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride.